got a great sound to play in Hello? Have you ever snubbed a lady? Um, we had a technical problem. Are we on? Welcome to Crunch and Roll, a podcast about the side of the radio industry that most people never hear about, featuring some of its most interesting characters. My name is John Fox, known to some as Foxy. The question you're probably thinking is, well, what qualifies you to present Crunch and Roll? Well, I worked my way through Kingstown Hospital Radio, presented commercial radio breakfast shows in some of England's biggest cities, and did a little bit of work for the BBC. Now, my guest on this episode is Dick Stone. He's a stalwart of radio management for forever. And judging by the amount of people who've mentioned him on this podcast and not said anything bad about him, he must have been a good one. Now, he's another guest who I have never met, so it was just really refreshing to hear his stories, like how how he had to do an impression of another well-known radio character to land this first professional presenting gig. The name of his breakfast show, which you certainly couldn't get away with today, and also the time that he took some presenters hostage in the office. Okay, that's, that's, that might be a slight exaggeration, but anyway. Now, before we start, another reminder that if you enjoy the podcast and you are a regular listener, uh, we'd be eternally grateful if you could support us on Ko-fi. That's just uh, ko-fi.com slash crunch and roll. And thank you genuinely to everybody who has supported us recently, including Jason McShane. Thank you, Jason. Alec Feldman, Robin Blamirez, 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 Top man is Robin and John McAnally as well. We're going to go straight down to Dandies and buy ourselves an Optimod. Okay, let's crunch and roll. Oh, yeah. Dick, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, not bad. Clinging on. You look amazing. <laughs> uh, thanks, mate. I grew this beard uh, in lockdown because I got bored of shaving and, <laughs> um, and then thought, you know, I'll carry on. And then... Um, this moustache got bigger and bigger, and, and in the end, I thought, um, you know, it gives a feature to an otherwise featureless head. <laughs> you and I suffer from the same thing. Yeah, Dick. yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's an overabundance of manliness. That's what it is. That's what it is. I mean, I'm just waiting for mine to go grey, just because the ginger doesn't really... What? Know. That's it. Mine went grey in sick form. Did it? My hair went grey in sick form. Yeah, Blimey. so by the time I was, you know, in radio, like an old man. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I, I I know of you. I would say, I mean, we were just talking, myself and Simon, who produces the pod before we hit record, but I think you're probably one of the best-known names in the industry. And I think that's, would you agree with that? You're probably not going to agree I'm with not, that. No, I'm not going to agree with that. But that's probably because I've got such a stupid name. Okay. I mean, you know. I mean, Dick Stone, is a, you wouldn't choose that, although I did. So, you know, because it's not my real name. Is it not? It's not my real name. No, 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 no. I, um, half of it, the Stone bitch, right? That's my real name. Yeah. But I, you know, who would choose? Yeah, Dick Stone. I'll call myself that. That's going to go down really well. The number of spam filters and profanity filters <laughs> that have blocked emails from me. Over the years, I'm sure there's jobs I've never had as a result of that. <laughs> so, so did you did you pick that name purely for the radio? Because obviously, it's a very memorable name. Oh, I've told this story so many times. Um, I joined Trent 
at the same at the same time, the same day as my oldest friend, um, Gary Burton, um, ex of uh, Kiss One or Two in Manchester and BBC Six Music and Trent, of course. Um, so it, it, also not his real name. We both joined at the same day. We both got the same surname. I won't say what it is. And there was already somebody on the radio station who did the rock show had the same name. And so Len Grote, also not his real name, um, at Trent said, you need to, to me, you need to change your first name. And Gary, you need to change both your names because there was somebody in the radio station with the same surname as him. So it has to have the right number of syllables to sing in a jingle. Of course. <laughs> so um, I, I was like, oh, okay, what, what, are there any rules? He was like, no, no, just write number of syllables. So I chose Richard Stone because it had the right number of syllables to sing in one of the jingles. Um, and that was it. And then um, my best mate did one show was Gary Hopkins, but there was a newsreader called Hopkins, so I had to change it again. <laughs> <laughs> So then, yeah, I, end, I wound up on the air and it got shortened to Dick. And I was like, oh, God. And that, But it got shortened to Dick by Andy Marriott, who did Breakfast on Trent in Derby. And then I realised he's called Andy Marriott and the mid-morning show presenter is called Andy Miller. And I was like, how come you can both have the same certain face, same <laughs> first name? Oh, we said no. I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> so here well, we I mean, are. Look, we- All this time later... Walking around at conferences and all manner of things with the badge with Dick written on it. <laughs> I could have said no. <laughs> Do you know, I never knew that though. That is, that is amazing. And then <laughs> radio, eh? I know. Yeah. I mean, there are so many people in the industry that, I mean, John Fox is actually my name, but I mean, there are so many people in the industry who have changed their name. It's, it's incredible. Isn't oh, it? It's remarkable. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I remember at the time on Trent, the rock show was done by um, late, the late John Shaw and Mark Spivey, and they heard wind of this. So for one show only, they changed their shirt, their names to Swinging Johnny Snenton and Mark Gartree Maximum Security Prison. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I want to go right back to the start in just a second. Um, yeah. But but firstly, can I can I say thank you for coming on because I I often think it must be difficult as somebody who spent a majority of their career in management. It must be difficult to come on to these type of things because I mean you're you're a nice guy. I'm not saying you're not, but there'll be people listening who went, well, he never gave me that job that yeah. I dreamt of. Yeah, he fired me. Yes, is it difficult? Um, yes, it is. Yeah, of course it is. I mean, if uh, anybody who says it isn't is lying. Um, or doesn't have a soul. I mean, I I've always operated under the under the general thought that treat people how you'd like to be treated yourself. And despite my name, don't be a dick. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes you're forced in a management situation to do things that you know, for all intents and purposes, appear to be a bit dickish. But don't make them more dickish than they need to be. Um, uh, you know, and and be honest about it. If you can be honest about it, be honest about it and try and pe- treat people with a little bit of respect. And that's what I've always 
attempted to do. I can't say I've always been um, uh, successful at it, but that's what I've tried to do. But I mean, thank you for inviting me on on to this podcast because it's um, it's interesting listening back to you know numerous various different crunch and rolls before this, and most recently I listened to um, Tim Litchfield uh, talking about um, you know program controllers and, and the sorts of programmers that he would deal with in the past, and I always ache when I hear people talking of those stories and going, oh, God, that should have been so different. That should have been different. And, you know, I, I don't know who the people were involved at the time, but I always look at it and think, you know, the, the radio isn't, the world of radio isn't unique in that it has some crap managers in it. Um, I'm sure that people, if, if, you, if you, if we wound up in a different world and you were doing a, a podcast about people who used to work in DIY stores, um, and if that was a thing, um, yeah. probably called nuts and bolts. And, um, <laughs> you know, there will be stories of crap managers, yeah. you know, radio isn't alone in that. You know? No, and I think you're absolutely right. And as I, as I, I get older and I become more mature and I look back, you know, I, I think sometimes I was being a bit of a dick. So that kind of made the manager be a bit of a dick to me. So, you know, you've got to kind of look at your own behaviour sometimes and not just that of the person who's in charge. Yeah, and and again, you know, the old... You're thrust into management situations sometimes at a time when, you know, probably professionally you're not the most adept. Um, and as you grow older, you kind of think, you know what, see past the behaviour because uh, that's just a reaction to something and and try and work out what the reason is behind it. Um, you know, so sitting in front of somebody and they're being a dick back to you, well, you know, you're criticising or you're giving critique on their performance and it's on the radio and they're giving of themselves. You know, when you were on the on the air, you know, you did the best that you possibly could do, you believed. And, you know, when I was on the air, I did the same thing. And I always knew that there were, there were two golden rules. When I did a show that was um, that I thought was good, it was never as good as I thought it was, and when I did a show, and someone would tell you, as soon as you come off here, sods law, bastards. Uh, and then um, <laughs> and then when you did a show that was awful, it was never as bad as you thought it was either. Yeah. And someone would say something that you did on that show probably that you that they liked. And you go, oh, you know what, it wasn't as bad. But it was still personal because you go into a soundproof room and talk to yourself and you give of yourself, don't you? So when someone criticises yeah. it, if it touches a bit of a nerve so you know you just gotta be you know trade around all of those things and make sure that you know when people react you can go yeah it's it's just a reaction to me saying something and it's not personal i did ask um simon monk who you know a, a mutual friend of ours mm. um who was one of my favorite bosses because he was he was just a great guy oh. I mean, I, I asked him the question, I'll ask you the question. Do you think that to be a good radio boss, you sh you needed to have been on air? Um, I think it helps sometimes. I think it, no. Um, yes, it helps understand the process and the mindset more than anything. I don't think that, um, and I say this bearing in mind that, you know, I'm doing some lecturing at university now and I'm doing things like making short films and documentaries and I've never done that in my life um so you know what the hell do I know but yeah. I feel like I know enough of it that I can make an observation that's valid um and so 
I think if you never were on air, you might be able to make a critique of something. Um, but if you've done it yourself, you know some of the aches and pains and the worries and the and the paranoia. You know, radio people are paranoid. They are the most paranoid people I know. Absolutely, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, the stories I could tell, and maybe we will, of paranoid moments where I thought, you're kidding me? You thought that happened? No, mm -hmm. it was just this. But, you know, there were several different chains of events that ended up in a world of pain for somebody somewhere else um, that was all just made up because paranoia. Let's go right back to the start then. So whereabouts are you from then, Dick? So I'm from Derby, right in the middle of the country. So I was born in Derby and um, my first foray into anything radio was at home at my parents' house. We had a um, a, a, a huge beautiful bush radio that didn't work and i remember it would have been probably about the age of 12 or 13 or something like that i decided that i knowing nothing about electronics or anything it was a, i'd try and make it work so i took the back off did electrocute myself once um <laughs> realized that a few of the valves in the back weren't lighting up and there was an electronic shop in derby so i went and got what I thought were the right valves, no idea what I was doing, plugged them in, hey presto, it worked. Um, so then would listen to their own, uh, go up and down the dial, literally up and down the dial, spend hours going up and just listening to various radio on um, you know, AM and FM and Longwave, just listening to what was there. And, uh, you know, I, I would listen to Tom Brown's Top 20 um, five o'clock on Sunday on, on when Radio 1 had FM for two hours. So listen to that, and then I would do what everyone did at that time, which was, you know, record songs off the radio with a cassette. So I would listen to the mechanics of radio. Um, and that was an interest, a big interest. That just started to eat more and more of my time just listening to the radio. Um, and then I built a studio in my bedroom, uh, when I say built a studio, I had two turntables. It didn't have a mix. I had a series of switches um, and a cassette recorder on re on record with no cassette in and headphones plugged in so I could get the audio out. So it was like a mic amp and I broadcast to the kitchen. I had a great reach. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then my mum heard uh, someone from Radio Link, a hospital radio station on Radio Derby. And I can't remember whether she rang or I rang. Or I can't remember what. But I ended up going to the studio, which is completely the other side of town, and spent an evening in this radio studio, and it was a proper radio studio. Going, wow, this is amazing! I didn't, and I, I went back, didn't say anything to anybody for about a year because I was so shy. Um, didn't do a show, anything, um, and then about a year uh, later, the aforementioned Gary Burton not his real name, um, joined Radio Link, and he and I just hit it off. And then we ended up, within a couple of years or so, running the place. And we did a, we did a breakfast show, because was there wasn't a breakfast show. It, hospital Radio it only existed yeah. at sort of 7 o'clock in the evening. We decided stupidly, let's get up and do a breakfast show, 7 till 9 in the morning. <laughs> um, so we did that whilst, not, but bearing in mind, it took an hour to cycle across Derby at half five in the morning 
um, to get there to do this breakfast show for free. This is all voluntary, you know. And so that was our first, well, my first foray into radio, really, which was, I was there for nine years. Blimey. Yeah. I don't look that old, do I? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think that's the longest stint in hospital radio anyone's ever spent. Well, the the crazy thing was, I I wanted to work in radio, but you know, um, anyone who's been in hospital, were you in hospital radio, John? Were you? Yeah, I was at um, Kingstown Hospital Radio. Yeah. Oh, right. So you know the radios, the hospital radio fraternity. There are two sides. There's those that are in it for the charity, and yeah. there's those that are in it for the radio, and the two sides don't get on um, <laughs> because yeah. all the people that want to fundraise and do the charity and do all that hate the people that want to work in radio because you're just you're just transient. You want to go on to yeah, something yeah. else. So, yeah, it was a bit like that. Um, but, yeah, I was there for nine years, and then um, Gary and I both joined Trent. This this was in 1987, so you joined <laughs> Radio Trent, which, you know, as we all know, went on to become this huge radio station. Mm. What was... What kind of state of play was Radio Trent in in, in 1987? Well, it was it was in pretty good um, state, really. David Lloyd did mid-mornings. John Peters was on breakfast. Um, Steve Merrick did afternoons. And John Shaw and John Spy- and, and Mark Spivey did the evening rock show, which was a legendary. Scrolling back a little bit, you know, I, I was never really interested that much in Trent because it was down the road. And Nottingham and Derby also hate each other um, yeah. with a passion, you know. Um and my station of choice, you'll be glad to hear, John, was always BRMB. Um, so I really? would listen, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would listen in Derby to BRMB. So I loved Les Ross. Um, I would listen to, you know, I, I remember, you know, Nicky Steele and Brendan Kearney. And I used to listen at night to um, Ride of the Valkyries with Robin Valk. Um, that was my, that was my bag. I loved BRMB and thought Trent was not it, but they were the closest. Um, so, yeah, I remember I, I sent a demo. Gary and I both sent a demo, and he got an interview, and I didn't. And then Langro wrote back to me and said, "Be more like David Lloyd." So I did. Went. I was. I was angry. So I went <laughs> into the studio and in Hospital Radio and did another demo, doing an impression of David Lloyd. <laughs> And and got a job, so oh, I had to, there we go. So I had to carry on doing it. No, yeah. So there's audio. I'm sure there's audio somewhere in the early days of Trent of me doing an imp- this stupid impression of David Lloyd because that's what got me the gig. So I had to do it. Sorry, Dick. Does David Lloyd is he aware of this story? I think he, I think David is. Yeah. I mean, I I, I worked with David very very recently because I was doing some consultancy work at Knotts TV, and he's the Right. Chairman yeah, of Ross yeah. TV, um, and we've obviously we've known each other for a lot of all of that time, and I think yeah, I think he does know that. I mean, he must know. That. <laughs> I must have told him at some point or other. It's, but it's the things you do, honestly. Yeah. But you, then once I was in, then I could start to become myself a little bit more, you know, and um, uh, and, and develop your own personality. But Trent was just starting. I was just about to start the service in Derby. Because Derby wanted, so Derby <laughs> hates Nottingham. Nottingham hates Derby, and we all hate Leicester. 
That's right, the way okay. it works in the East Midlands, right? <laughs> That's the rules of East Midlands. So uh, Derby wanted its own independent commercial radio station and IBA were like, nah, not going to happen. So in the end, after a long process, Trent expanded to include Derby and um, so I was kind of, well, I want to be on that. I want to I do that. And I'd been at Trent for about a year, there or thereabouts, before then. So I was doing swing. Gary and I were both doing swing across the East Midlands in Nottingham, Derby and Leicester. And then Trent and Derby launched and a year later I ended up doing breakfast and then did that for nine years, thereabouts. So so just so this this is doing breakfast on Ram, Ram yeah. FM. Well, before it was Ram, it was Trent. Yeah. So it was Brian. Right, okay. it, it was This is so confusing, dude. Yeah, I know. This is so confusing. So um it was Trent nine forty five. So at the time when Trent launched Trent and Derby and, and shortly after that Gem AM then launched because remember it was the use it or lose it with the AM so you had to either oh, yeah, do yeah, something yeah. with it or you'd, you'd lose the frequency. So Gem AM launched. So it was Trent 945, Trent in Derby and Trent 999 in Nottingham. So I did, I started breakfast on Trent then Capital Radio bought the company, Midlands Radio and didn't really want anything other than BRMB. So we had a year of capital ownership and nothing changing. And then GDBR came in and bought it and then renamed um, Trent in Derby to Ram, which was a sensible move because, as I say, Nottingham and Derby don't like each other and Trent's a Nottingham word. Um, and overnight, I mean, I think, you know, changing the name uh, pretty much doubled the reach. I mean, you know, nine years on breakfast is... An incredible achievement. I mean, fun memories of doing the breakfast show oh, for nine years. God, yeah. I mean, the bizarre, the the crazy thing is, I occasionally meet people who remember when they were growing up and listened to the radio, and they remember Dick in the Morning, and then they realise it's <laughs> is that me. what it was called, Dick in the Morning. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. We and I had I had jingles that said, "We love our Dick in the Morning." <laughs> No complaints. I would say not one complaint, right? No complaints. I had I had people who would come on the phone and would shout, we love our dick in the morning. Um, I had, and these are the callers, you know, I had one that was turned into a little ident that was someone saying, I turn on my dick in the morning. And, you know, <laughs> it's, it's bizarre. I mean, the material the material was endless, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's... there's but it was it was great. I had a great time. I did the show on my own. I remember I the, the days I always used to love, and you remember this from from you know those heady days of commercial radio when it was snowing, and you go, oh, I'm going to get an audience. This is going to be really good. <laughs> you know, we're, yeah. we're going to get. A bit of a, we're a bit of a sick bunch, really, aren't we? We are. Yeah, the weather's bad. <laughs> They're going to need us. And so, yeah, I. I I, I, it, was, it was good fun. It was really good fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was not the best at doing the show. Um, and I was a good enough programmer in the end to realise that I shouldn't be on the air. So um, at the first opportunity, took myself off the air. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean that, we've, you know, we've got that written down in our little bit of research. Uh, that, you know, you, you were the jock you shouldn't, and then you shouldn't, became... Don't, just, just some general advice. Don't Google Dick Stone. It's not something you want... <laughs> You'll get your computer taken away in a plastic bag. 
I do work for the police now as well, so I need to be very there careful. Go. Yeah, you got to be <laughs> yeah, very yeah, careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, so want, you, be... want, you want a VPN, that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm using Simon, our producer's computer. It'll be absolutely fine. Fine. Um, so, I mean, we've spoken to quite a few guests who w- were jocks and then went on to be PDs. And I would say, in general, m- most of those people didn't enjoy that. I mean, but I think that's because they preferred being a jock. But w- when you became the PD... Did you, did you instantly realise that management was your thing? I remember the day it happened. This would have been in GWR. I'd come off breakfast. I was doing afternoons and I hated it. It was just boring. Not because, you know, the, the typical slap of, oh, it was Lanik on radio and all that. But it was a bit dull. Um, and I remember I was giving someone some, um, we were just going through some audio or something and doing a coaching session with somebody and the show was supposed to start at two o'clock and it was five two and I suddenly realised oh oh shit I'm on the air so I had to quickly (laughs) cut the question the session short and run through to the studio Um, and that was the moment then I realised you know what I'm getting as much of a kick out of doing the programming thing than doing the show and then what happened because you know you we all those people who were ever on the air you do a link you've especially if it goes the way you've planned it fabulous and it works and you think yeah that was great you know you've you've hit the vocal you hit the post you've done whatever you've played the caller out it's gone you've got a great caller they didn't just go thanks they reacted you know all of that and you, it's a punch the air moment and i found that chatting to presenters and um doing coaching sessions or whatever you'd make suggestions talk about stuff whatever they'd go on the air and do something and you'd hear something on i would hear something on the air that was as a result of something that we'd said and had the same punch-the-air moment. So I sort of carried on, I suppose, on the air vicariously through all the presenters. Here's a question for you, Dick. So you you come off breakfast on Ram after nine years. Hmm. You then, of course, the gaffer. You have to put somebody on the breakfast show to replace you. Did you find somebody that was better than you? Oh, God, yeah. That, that was a low bar. <laughs> but I just thought, you know, I mean, I mean, let's not, you know, beat around the bush. We've we've all got egos. I would say mm. presenters. We've we've all got egos. Even if we deny it, we have got egos. Yeah. I mean, for you to listen to the person that's replaced you, having had a really successful breakfast show for nine years, it must have that must have been quite tough. I no, not at all. No, I was I was keen to get off. Um, you know, and I think I prefer doing breakfast than doing afternoons, as I said, and we needed another breakfast show and I was thinking, right, okay, we need to build something. Um, and then Ian Skye, who was part of GWR and was in Bristol, um, sort of dropped in my lap. I remember Dirk Anthony ringing me up saying, you know, oh, you're nicking Ian Skye. I was like, he applied, mate. So I was like, okay, move on. Couldn't find anybody to do the show. I couldn't find the right person to do the show. And I, and I remember coming off air one day thinking, today's going to be, I was still on breakfast at this point, coming off and thinking, I've got Ian Sky in the in the bag and he's somebody else who's going to work with him, thinking today's going to be the day. And this was in the, um, the assembly rooms building in Derby, which is where Ram was, was at the time, the studios were in there. And I had an office that was literally under the stairs. It had a sloping ceiling. I couldn't stand up in it because <laughs> it, was, it was terrible. Um, I thought today's going to be the day when it's going to, I just had a feeling and the post arrived and there was a cassette, which I think I still have from Joanna Russell. And I played the cassette 
And I thought, yeah, that's, that's the person. She sounds right. There's something. I could hear it. So we met, she came down to Ram, and we met, and uh, yeah, then she did breakfast with Ian Sky as Sky and Russell, which I know she's mentioned on the podcast that she was on. She did, yeah, yeah. So I hired her into Derby to do that, which was really successful. I mean, they didn't get on at all, which, you know, they, they just didn't. You know, that's fine. And you don't have to get on, do you? I mean, sometimes some of the best entertainment comes out of adversity. But uh, I felt for her in that situation. Uh, and I knew that she got a great talent. And not, not, not to say that Ian hasn't got a great talent either, but, you know, Ian and they just clashed horns. Yeah. Um, and then I remember the, the kind of seismic moment when I got a call from um, Pam, who was the PA, of um, Phil, who was the managing director of Ram in Derby, saying, um, Phil, will I see you in his office? And can you come now? I was like, I'm going to get fired. <laughs> I'm going to get fired here. I'm going to get fired. So I went round and um, was led straight in. Only to be told, actually, Chris Hughes is on his way across from Trent and we'd like you to go to Trent to be um, programmer over there. And Rob, who is fabulous, Rob Wagstaff, is going to come the other way and be um, programmer at RAM. So we swapped, which was, I, 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 I've got to admit, I was very close to saying no. Really? Because I loved RAM. That was my hometown radio station. And, it, you know, I was, I, I just brought in this breakfast show and it was kind of mine and it was, it all felt personal. Um, so I, I ummed and awed a little bit and almost said no. Thank God I didn't. Um, <laughs> yeah, that would have been, that would have been a mistake. You know, you've talked about your passion of, of, of Ram FM. It's probably a different answer to what other people may say, because of course you were in management. But I mean, how, how did you feel when, when that name Ram disappeared? Well, um, I mean, I was there when it was born. So it you know felt something when it disappeared. I wasn't there when Trent was born, but you know I was with Ram, and in the same way you know with with the network like with the hit music network. You know I I I remember that day faithfully because I had had twenty one difficult conversations with people who whose jobs weren't going to exist. But then the personal taking the personal element out of it doesn't sound right. But the fact that that radio station which had all of that heartbeat of the city and the heartbeat of the TSA and the the relationship with the audience was going to disappear. And you go, yeah, okay, I, I get the bigger picture. I see why this is happening, but we've sort of lost something. Um, and maybe, you know, the world's turned and things have changed and I understand why. But let's just take a moment to understand what we're losing. Is this going out or is it just in our headphones? The hamster's fine. There's a technical problem. You heard something on air you shouldn't have done. Oh, yeah. You go to Trent FM, which yeah. I mean, it was it was one of GWR's crown jewels, if not the biggest jewel on the crown. It made it? it made the most money, right, out of all the group stations. I think the, until I think Essex made a bit more at one point or other, but Trent made a load of money. It's a very profitable radio station. What what do you think so or was so special about Trent? Oh, um. I think that right from its very early days, in the days when I first joined, and the likes of you know the legend that is John Peters and David Lloyd, particularly David, 
um, you know, it it just understood the TSA. You know, it's not rocket science. It's pretty straightforward. If you've got a radio station that just has the pulse of the area that you're listening, that, that it's serving and serves it. You know, I remember Chris Hughes, who hired me, um, was a program controller when I first joined and taught me everything I know about radar and everything. Chris used to say to me, the difference between BBC Radio Nottingham at the time and Trent at the time is that um, Trent is proud of Nottingham and Radio Nottingham thinks that Nottingham should be proud of it. And that was the difference. You know, Trent was just, just was proud of Nottingham, hugely proud of Nottingham. I mean, we, we, we did a campaign that wasn't really a campaign. It was just a thing we did, whereas we we just started calling Nottingham the world's best city. And we just did it. We just said it, as a matter of fact, Nottingham, the world's best city. And it actually caught on to the point that the city council had a meeting and asked in the chamber, <laughs> does the council believe that Nottingham is the world's best city? Yes, we do. <laughs> and, you know, it was bollocks, because Nottingham isn't the world's best city, but it believed it did. It's got a, it had a that sense of belonging and the station felt like it owed Nottingham a lot and was proud of it. And so it was just a virtual circle. You know, the station loved the city, the city loved the station and and ever onwards. I, I want to talk about um, some of your favourite memories from your time of being the, the, the PD at Trent. But first, oh. I, I wouldn't mind touching on Joe and Twiggy. So oh. Joe kind of mentioned how her and Twiggy got together. Can you explain that just for people that might not have heard her? her yeah, episode? so so um, Twiggy was one of the Morley boys who used to live in an area of Derby called Morley on the outskirts of the city. Um, and there was a number of them, and Twiggy was one of them. Uh, and they used to ring up Andy Miller, who did mid-mornings on Ram. Trent, back in the day. Um, they used to ring him up and they were all mates and we used to go to the pub together, etc., and just have a laugh. And this was the lo- their local radio station. So they would just ring him up and mess about. And they would, they would I, I can't even remember some of the stuff they did. They would do, you know, parody songs. They would, they would just have him on as just joke callers and stuff. And it ended up this sort of symbiotic relationship with Andy and... Andy Miller, that is, and Andy Twig, and the rest of the Morley boys, that if he wanted something, he would ring them because they would be there for him and they'd give him some great content. And mm-hmm. Twiggy was just the one that was the most present. So um, he was already in the circle of the radio station in that he, he was interested in radio um, out of all of them, I think, because one was a farmer and or Twiggy was, an ex- was a farmer's son. So, yeah, he ended up being the events person at Trent, and Ram, and it's to Rob Wagstaff's credit because when I was at Ram before the swap happened, um, you know, Twiggy did some Saturday morning shows. I remember um, solo, and that wasn't really his stick, isn't that? At the time, it wasn't what he, what he was great at doing solo shows. But it was Rob that when Ian Sky went and Joe was there, um, that put Joe and Twiggy together, and the show at that time was called Joe and the Morning Crew. Because everything oh, in GDBR yeah. was called Morning Crew, oh, wasn't it? God, yes, it the was. The Morning Crew. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it was called Joe and the Morning Crew on Ram. So I remember having a meeting with, um, it would have been Jeremy Miller, 
who was the BPR consultant, because they would come round, wouldn't they, once every six months or three months or whatever, and come in and tell you what you're doing wrong and then leave. But Jeremy and I got on, I got on well with all of the BPR consultants thinking about it, but they were all great, I thought. But Jeremy was really good, and he said, you know, this the the station that we Trent that we were sitting in, the breakfast show is yeah, not really performing. But over here at Rams, a really good show that's got a glass ceiling because it's there's only so far it can go. There's only so much you can do with the size of the market, the size of the budget, all of that. Um, so I reckon we should we should bring them across to Trent. So I remember the time when we did it. And I we we had a meeting individually with Joe and Twiggy, and then together, and they almost said no. <laughs> yeah, they almost didn't do it. And the thing that, bearing in mind, I think and I won't I won't pin my entire broadcasting rep- reputation on this, but I think we doubled their salary from what they were wow. on in Ram, but they still almost said no um, because. Again, same same thing. You know, they were they were having fun at Ram, and they had a freedom on all that. And we also wanted to change the show name to Joe and Twiggy because that brought Twiggy's name into it, um, which was important. Um, it was also unique; it was different. And you know, radio is born out of um, recall and and people remembering what they heard. And if it's an unusual name, they'll remember it. So we were like, yeah, Joe and Twiggy, that'll be good. So, yeah, thank God they said yes eventually. And so Joe, Joe and I were reunited and she came to Trent along with Twiggy. Now, uh, just, just I want to touch on the, the word crew there. <laughs> I don't want to put words in your mouth, Dick, but you, you had a good time for GWR. You had a good time for GCAP, I would guess. But there were certain things which, and you know, I, I had a great time. With 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 GCAP, I, I, I've got no complaints. But the word crew was one thing that when when myself and Tom moved to two ten, we said oh. we ain't no crew. Oh, yeah. please. Were there little things that used to bug you a little bit? Oh God, yeah. I mean, this yes. In every single position, in every single thing I've ever done, there's been things that you go, that's bloody stupid. <laughs> okay, and you know, you know, in an earlier life. Maybe, certainly in the days, you know, in the, my, my starting out, I might jump up and down, get, get agitated about it and shout about it or whatever, and then, you know, probably give myself an ulcer and think, yes, you know what, it's not my train set. And if you want to do that, you know, if, if I say no and I jump up and down, it's still going to happen. The difference between it happening, because it's going to happen, and here is me getting really agitated about it and it's still going to happen. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I just turn over and go, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, fine. I will say my piece. Um, you know, I learned early on that, you know, if someone asks you their, you know, to give your opinion, give your opinion because that's what they asked. And so they might not like it, do it respectfully, no problems at all, but it's just an opinion. And if you don't like it, you shouldn't have asked. So I would always do that, but then you go, yeah, okay, you've got what you want to do. All right. You know, my hair fell out a long time ago. <laughs> I can't lose any more. Yeah, absolutely. It's just absolutely. not worth. It's just, it's just not worth it. I, I, I do. I, I want to ask. Um, what were your? 
I was going to say highlights, highlights, your, your, your favourite memories from your time at Trent. Oh God, we had great fun. Um, I know that when Joe did the podcast with you, she talked about the Joe and Twiggy diversion, which we did through the city. That when, was brilliant. Well, when they were, they were putting the tram in, it was years and years of roadworks and we, that was great fun. Uh, I remember we, we did bras across the Trent for um, breast cancer awareness and we tied... Yeah, we st- yeah, we stole that. You idea. stole that. Yeah, yeah. Carry on. Um, yeah, we did that across the Trent several times. I think we did about five or six times across the Trent, which was, which was incredible. At his heyday, I had a marketing budget of three hundred twenty-five thousand pounds. Jesus, there was no marketing person. It was mine to spend. <laughs> um, so we did a. Well, I, I remember we did, you know, spell Trent out in your Christmas lights. Um, and the best display that we pick on Christmas Eve or something wins a holiday in New York for New Year. And we'll give a £1,000 to your neighbours either side so they can look after your house while you're gone. <laughs> um, I love that. And it was, just, it was just crazy. I mean, the stuff that we did, but it's great fun. It was just really good fun. You know, and you know, yes, there, there, there were there were the there was the shitty bits, and there was all of the you know you mentioned crew. I thought you were going to say ARP, but I was intrinsically involved in that. In that, I was the one that was talking to Bill McMahon, the inventor of ARP, to turn it all into English. Somewhere I've got a pin, I've got a thumb drive with all the original documents on it. Which really? I've got, and I, I was the one that typed it all out to turn it in from American English into UK English and get rid of some of the bollocks, um, <laughs> uh, just to turn it into some form of normal. But, you know, it, was, it turned into a process, which was crap, because you can't, you can't, that doesn't, isn't going to work. You know, not everyone should be on the radio. You can't take someone who's got a modicum of talent and make them absolutely fabulous. You can't make them another, you know, Moyles or John Fox or whatever. Just by, kind there, Dick. <laughs> just by applying this process. doesn't work like that. If it was, everyone would be success. I do remember when Global took over um, 210 that Ashley, you know, was quite clear that networking was coming. And he said, the problem is that, oh, I can't remember how many mid-morning shows they had, but he said, I guarantee I can't find, let's say 35, I can't find 35 brilliant mid-morning presenters. Mm. And I kind of thought, yeah, he's got a point, maybe. Yeah, I remember him saying that. I remember that comment because that was banded around a bit. And I was like, oh, I winced a little bit, I think, at the time. Yeah. Um, but I knew what he meant. And, you know, yeah, you're right. He was right. And the industry was changing very much. I remember those times fondly because Paul Jackson was in Capital at the time. So at Trent, we weren't going to be a heart because there was Heart 106 in town. So, right, okay, well, we can't be turned into a heart then. Uh, so we were one of those stations that they didn't know what to do with. So Global came in and they bought the stations and they wanted to change start to change the music on 210 and, you know, GWR Bristol to a more heart-esque type playlist which they couldn't do because the network went everywhere. Um, so Paul Jackson rang me, and we, Paul and I got on really, really well. And he rang me and said, so what do you think we should do? So well, I don't know. He said, well, we could, we could kind of amend the playlist. You could stay local until 10 o'clock and then fold back. So well, that would be just like two different radio stations. 
you know, overnight it would be a soft AC and then during the day it would be CHR. So it was crazy. Um, and he's like, yeah, okay. Well, why don't you run a network then? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? He said, well, could you network it out of Nottingham? I was like, yeah, okay. 24-7. Like, all right, yeah, fine. All right, yeah, yeah, we could do that. When do you want that? Thinking this will be months away, you know. Two weeks? Right, you can do it in two weeks. <laughs> so... <laughs> Is that when your hair started? That was to when the hair really fell out. That was when the yeah. whiteboard in my office got a lot of use. Yeah. <laughs> All the things we had to do. So we built, we, and I say it was a we because it was me and the team who were there in Trent at the time. And we built a 24 7 network out of, for all those stations that weren't going to be hot. So it would have been Nottingham, Derby, Leicester <clears throat> at the time, still Beacon. And Mercia and uh, who else would it have been? There was 1017. There was Watford. There was Mercury. All those stations. So we carried network. We made the network in Nottingham. So that, that was the hit music network. That was the hit music you, network, yeah. And, and that was set up in two weeks? Two weeks, yeah. Two weeks. I mean, did, did, did you sleep at all? I mean, <laughs> how, I mean how, how do you even begin to... <laughs> set up a network in two weeks. Well, we had, obviously, GDBR were doing networking in any, in any case. So mid-mornings, we had Mark Dennison, so that worked. He could do network. That was fine. We got uh, James Lloyd, Lloydie Lloyd, on afternoons. I got Joan Twiggy on breakfast, obviously. So I had to find evenings. Basically, it was, it was evening. It was always the, as always happens when you build any kind of, Station, 24-hour, seven-day-a-week station. It's the arse end of the weekend that's always the problem. You know, <laughs> the the big shows are easy to fill. It's yeah. what do you do about weekend overnights? Oh, shit. Um, and, you know, we were using uh, Genesis, which didn't automate oh. very well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it had to be live. We had to get somebody in. So, yeah, we... I uh, I remember Lewis Clark phoned me and said, oh, they've got a guy who's in uh, Northampton and we don't want to use him. Do you want him? So there's a bit of that going on. Um, so I was like, yeah, all right, okay, yeah. That'll fill a hole. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> I mean, f- throughout the entirety of... No, I was going to say throughout the entirety of my career. That's bollocks. Um, but certainly in the latter stages of my career, I have always had a lot of fun nurturing and bringing through new talent. So I I was uh, Global's uh, liaison person for student radio for a long period of time. So Karina, Karina Tilson, who now works at Ofcom, um, used to do it before me. And her and I used to liaise a bit because she knew that I was interested. I never went to university. Um, but if I knew that student radio existed, maybe I wouldn't. And when Karina left, she recommended that I do it. So I picked it up and looked after student radio awards and training and development and all that. So I used the Hit Music Network. I was like, this is an opportunity then to put some, some, nur- some nurture some new talent and, and brought a lot of people through that way. Do you know, I've, I've overlooked something which I really wanted to speak to you about, Dick, was that when we went to GWR 210 FM, which was GCAT when we went there, mm. um, I remember it was coming around to Sony time and um, I said to my PD, I said, can we enter this year? He said, yeah, absolutely. I, said, I was used to how they used to do it at EMAP, but individual sites would would write their own applications. Is that the right word? I'm not sure. Um, and I said to, to the PD at 210, I said, can we? And he said, yeah, there's a bit of a process. 
uh, at GCAP. So what you need to do is put your audio together and then you send it to Mr. Sony Award himself, Dick Stone, <laughs> who will listen to it and he will decide whether we enter it or not. God, really? I don't remember doing that. Do you not? No. Maybe that was an absolute stitch up by that PD. Yeah, it could have been. <laughs> really yeah, you were. <laughs> they had you hook, line and sinker there, mate. Yeah. That was, they could have just said no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's not waste the 150 quid, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, we haven't got budget. Um, no, I think I I remember that we used to share a bit of best practice. And, you know, you I would always, in any case, I would always send the entry to somebody else to get a fresh set of ears and eyes across it um, to see what they think. So it might have been that. I, I don't remember it, though. I mean, okay. the, the the crazy thing about the Sonys, and I really enjoyed the Sonys, and uh, as Joe mentioned again on the podcast, they never won gold. Um, they won the best European breakfast show with with an awards ceremony that only lasted one year, so they're still holders. Um, you know, claim it. But I think there was one year when, ideally, that well, I think they they would have won, but for the fact that Wogan won it. For and it was a landmark year. I don't know, he'd done breakfast for, I don't know, 150 years or something. So um, he was going to get it. He was always going to get it. And Joe and Twiggy got silver. But Radio 2 were on the next table. I went and sat next to Wogan and congratulated him. And he said, oh, no, no, it's silly. Um, no, you should have won it. It's only because I've been around so long. Um, but I think he's honest. Yeah, it was, it was lovely. I mean, those, those, I mean, those, Times are just crazy. And this is going to sound like name-dropping. But remember when Fergal Sharkey was at the Radio Authority? So he came round the radio stations and he came to Trent a couple of times. And we had the odd, not argument, but we had the odd, you know, he thought one thing, I thought something else, and we both said what we thought, which is great. But I saw him at the Sonys and he, was, he just came up and we were just, just chatting. Pleasant, really pleasant. And then John Peel walked up. So here am I, pinching myself. I'm in a conversation with John Peel and Fergal Sharkey. What on earth is going on here? But those things happened at the Sonys. It was yeah. just crazy. So we've, we've talked about Joe and Twiggy. I mean, any, any memorable moments working with Joe and Twiggy? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably not my finest moment. And Joe will tell this story, and I've, I've, I've told it to a few people from time to time, that... I can't remember the exact details of it, but I think it was, unbeknownst to me, the night before Dirk was in the TSA. Dirk Anthony from GDBR Group was in the TSA. And I'm, I didn't know that he was going to be about. I don't think he was in Nottingham. He would have been in Leicester or something. And Joe and Twiggy went to see him. And didn't tell me that they were doing that. So I was a bit pissed off by that. Um, I thought, this is a bit... No, it's not. I don't know what, I don't know what they said. I wasn't paranoid, although we're all paranoid. Um, so, you know, you immediately think, well, they're talking behind my back, what's going on? I've got to, I've got to air this. And there's a little bit of niggle going back. You know, I wanted them to do some things and they wouldn't do it for whatever reason and blah, blah, blah. So I remember calling them saying, can you come and see me? The show had been done, gone, they'd gone home. And I rang them and said, I need you to come back. I need to talk to you. Um, so they came back into my office, which was on the ground floor in Castlegate. And they came in, Joe Twiggy and Mark Hitchings, a.k.a. Brains, the producer. And I walked across the office and locked the door 
took the key out and sat down and said, no one's leaving until we clear this up. I locked them in the office with me until we cleared the air, basically, and sorted it out. And, you know, they, were, they now tell the story of, oh, yeah, Dick locked us in his office um, and wouldn't let us leave. Um, but he just needed to clear the air, and it was a niggle moment. And like I say, it probably isn't my finest moment, and it probably isn't the best management te te technique that I can say, lock your presenters in and don't <laughs> let them leave. But it got the job done in the end. And, you know, we all remain friends. We're having a party. Oh, yeah. So you set up the Hit Music Network, as we, we've, we've chatted about. And, you know, obviously Global were your biggest fan because they, they keep you, which was a success in many people's eyes, you know. Um, you, you then go to, be, to become Group PD at, at Smooth. Now, before we get on to, to the Smooth Network, I'm just having spent so many years at Trent, which has been you know, is this hugely successful radio station. It must have been sad to step away from that. Oh, God, yeah, huge. I mean, the, the truth of that is that it was the fourth time of asking. Oh, really? So I remember having a conversation with Richard Park, who rang me and said, you know, I won't do the impression. Um, come down to London. Why don't you come down to live in Staines and come and work in Capital? I was like, nah, that's not me. Nah, I've never been one. I have no problem at all with people who hopscotch around the place and do stuff, and that's, but that's just not been, never been me. Um, so I didn't want to do that. So I said, no, no thanks. And then he, he called me and said, um, would you do this? Well, so he never actually outright asked, but he implied, you know, in the way that he did. Could you do this? Would you do this? I was like, no, nah, that's not really me. And then there was something else. I can't remember what it was. It might have been smooth that he said, would you be interested in doing this? And I was like, no, I can't see that's me. And then he phoned me one more time and said, what if you didn't have to move? I was like, yeah, okay, worthwhile talking about. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> um, and I got the impression that, you know, if I'd said no, that would have been it, I would have been out. So, yeah, so, so and, and I said to him, I would like to do, I'll, I'll come down and I'll do the job as, as being, as, as, Program director, I think was the title originally, um, for Smooth, which had moved into Global a, a month earlier. Um, but I want to stay in, involved in Capital in the East Midlands. So can I do both? Because obviously I'll live in the, in, in the Midlands. So we agreed, or they agreed, that they, we got a deputy in Nottingham to look after some of the day-to-day. -day. And I would do both. So I'd have one foot in Capital and one foot in Smooth. And I... The argument that I made, which I think is a good one, was that you can be, particularly when you work in, in, in brand-driven radio like that, you can become siloed. So all you think is, you know, the heart world. Nothing exists outside heart. So heart doesn't know what capital is doing. Capital doesn't know what smooth is doing. Smooth doesn't know what classics doing, all of that. Whereas if you've got a foot in different camps, you can learn from each other. And so I was like, well, there are actually a lot of similarities between capital and smooth, musically, not at all but two are very focused brands. So there are lots of similarities, so they can learn from each other. And the network wasn't a network, so it was going to set up another network again, you know, just like the days of the hit music network. I had a bit longer than two weeks. Um, <laughs> so I had I went moved into uh, Smooth. There, It was all national. So Simon Bates on breakfast, Lynn Parsons mid-mornings, um, afternoons was... Pat Sharp, I think, 
and then Drive was David Jensen, and then Evenings was Carlos. So the idea from from, uh, from Global was let's put local breakfast and drives back in in all these regional sites. So we want to do this in March. This was in November. Go out and find people. It's like, Shit. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you've obviously faced a lot of challenges the build up to this this point in your career, but was that the biggest challenge oh, yet? Probably, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe yes. It probably it probably was the biggest. I mean, starting the hit music network in two weeks was quite a fairly big challenge, and then turning all that into capital was was good fun. Uh, and but yeah, I think it was finding because you know smooth as smooth is and was the station that you know is is. It's not like running a capital, and I, I couldn't go to student radio or bring some people because they don't know they don't know who Michael Bublé is. So <laughs> yeah. it's, it's got to they've got to have some musical gravitas. So you couldn't get first timers. So it had to be people that had got some some years, some some knowledge, some some musical and and broadcasting uh, legacy behind them. And I'm proud to say that you know the the people that I hire, particularly obviously breakfast still exists on all the smooth local sites. So Gareth Evans, who does East, East Midlands, is still there. Uh, Nigel Freshman, who does West Midlands, is still there. Darren Parks, who does Northwest, is still there. Steve Coleman, who does Northeast, is still there. John McCauley was still there in Scotland, but retired. Um, and is legend, an absolute legend. You should get him on the podcast. John McCauley is a lovely, lovely, lovely man. Um, and has some wonderful stories. Um, and I, he's the Wogan of Scotland. They're all still there doing the same shows. That you know, I, I hired them when when we launched the Smooth Network in in Global. So you do Smooth Network, um, managing editor, Capital East Midlands. Yep. Regional managing editor for Mids and West. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I did the um, so Sam Jackson who is also a lovely bloke. Sam was in control of Classic and then uh, doing the smooth network thing as well as all the smooth regional sites and Capital East Midlands was a lot. So then Sam looked after the network and I did all the regional sites for smooth and the capital stuff. Right towards the end, you know, I did regional managing editor for Midlands and West, which was all the stations in the Midlands and South Wales and the West Country. So it was Nottingham, Nottingham, the only thing that came out of there at that point, because obviously it was a collapsed Midlands wide by that point, was smooth, and then there was uh, out, out Birmingham, then of course Capital Mid-Counties, which was the old touch. So reunited with Steve Orchard after all these years, uh, which turned into Capital Mid-Counties, so that was mine. Um, we, we launched that. And then it was Hart in um, in Bristol and the West Country and Hart in South Wales and Smooth in South Wales. It was good fun. Lots of time on a train. I was going to say, like, I can't even begin to imagine what a nightmare that must have been trying to overlook all those sites. Just incredible. Uh, it, it was it was not bad. It was all right, actually. I mean, I, I just hearken back to the days of when you know, the aforementioned Simon Monk and I worked together and he was at Wyvern and he was, it was one of the sites that I, I had a sort of a square. So Gloucester, Worcester, um, up to Wrexham, across to 
Nottingham and then down to Harlow in Essex. That square in the middle of that, all that was the one, the ones that I looked after. So you just kind of get your head around it. You can't listen to more than one thing at once. Uh, I, <laughs> I can listen to probably about three shows at once at the same time now. Um, but you, you just, yeah, it's it's. It's all right. I mean, like I say, you just try and treat people how you'd like to be treated yourself as well, you know. You then leave Global. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was... Um, so the pandemic hit. Right. And, you know, advertising went south everywhere. Um, do, do you know what? So forgive me, Dick. The, the reason why I went quiet is because this is probably... If anybody was going to be chatting to you, this is the, the, the burning question as to why you left Global, I think. Ah, okay. Because, because I mean, you had such an amazing career with Global, GCAP, GWR, you know, for then suddenly for it to stop. Yeah, I um, thought, so the pandemic hit and I was made redundant um, out of Global. So, fair enough, you know, shit happens. That must have been a hard pill to swallow after all you'd achieved for them. Yeah, it was a hard pill. Yeah, it was at the time. It took a long time for me to get over it, I think. But that, you know, it, it was more like everyone did what they had to do and I don't feel badly as a result of it. And, you know, I had a great I had a great ride. I really enjoyed it. Would I prefer to have stayed? Yeah, absolutely. Do I miss radio now? Hugely. I would give my right bollock to... Um, <laughs> to be working in a radio station again. Please get in touch. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I, I miss it immensely. And I had a little bit of re-entry into radio last year for three months, which we might talk about. But it was like, it was like a grieving process, really. Because the reality is I hadn't actually moved throughout the whole of that 33 years. Um, 33 and a third. I had an LP. Um, <laughs> so... I hadn't moved. I still lived in the same place. I still, you know, I, I, I largely still went to Nottingham and then all of a sudden that ended. It, it did hurt a bit and it took quite a while to get over it. Can I also say that you're the first guest out of everybody we've had so far that hasn't used the word sacked? So from what I'm building up from what you've said, throughout your 33 and a third, you were never given the boot. No. Never fired. That must have... So that must have made it even harder. Yeah, I think that's that. I think you're right. I think you've hit the nail on the head. That was the thing that made it the worst thing because I'd never been fired. I'd never had a contract not renewed. I'd never had a uh, you know. I've been moved sideways a couple of times. I suppose I've been. I had to. I was put at risk of redundancy once, but then no. I think they said. Or we could make you redundant. I was like, no, I don't want to do that. Oh, thank God you said that. Um, <laughs> but they actually legally had to offer me redundancy, which I didn't want to take. So no, I'd never, I'd never left the job, other than moving to another job, like moving from Ram to Tremp. It's the same company, so you know, it was just a job title change and a position change. So no, I'd never, I'd never been fired. So that was the first time, and I hadn't been fired. I'd been made redundant. That happens. Let's move on to, to Jack FM. I don't want to finish on a low because, you, you know, you've got an incredible career. Um, Jack, how did that happen? How did suddenly it pop, the radio pop its, its ugly head back up? So um, I had been made redundant from Global and that was at the end of August in 2020. 
And I think it must have been just as soon as September in 2020 when I got a phone call from um, Ian Walker, who I knew from the days of uh, GWR and GCAP because he was in the, the group at that time. And so Ian Walker was in Jack group and he rang and said, oh, you fancy having a coffee? Yeah, okay. So I drove around to Oxford and um, we had a uh, a meal, socially distanced meal with Craig Body, who had been brought across and he travelled over in the pandemic, God love him, from New Zealand. Um, and he was the programmer of Jack. And so Ian said, look, we got this, wonder if you can work for some project work for us. We want to launch these two new radio stations, two national radio stations, because there were three Jack local stations in Oxfordshire, one national Union Jack radio. And we've got DAB space and we want to launch these two other ones. There was, there was Jack radio nationally, which they're going to turn into something else, but they didn't know what it was going to be yet. Um, and we need someone to project manage it. Would you be interested in doing that? I was like, sure. Yeah, nothing else on. Yeah, no problems. So I had a fabulous time. Then the, it was two, two months. So I was sitting here in this very seat just going through, um, you know, Spotify, building playlists of, because at the time then it was going to be Union Jack Rock and uh, Union Jack Dance. So I was just building playlists um, of songs that we could play. And then, you know, it, the freedom was immense <laughs> because, you know, when do you ever get to do that? You just don't get a chance, do you? And I, th- I, I remember thinking, if this was in global, then, you know, I would, create a list that's fine but then there'd be several layers quite rightly of you know it would go to you know richard back in the day or it would go to ashley and then the you, know, you never see it again it, it'd be it'd be done fine no problems i don't have any, any qualms with that but here was i sitting there doing it myself and going oh okay uh, we need we, you know, we need more of that find some more of that of course it all had to be uk artists so that was the ball ache so i created this list and, and, and we launched the stations and then craig announced that he was going to go back to the new zealand so ian rang me and said would you do it full time so i said yes but i'm not going to move to oxford um so <laughs> don't want to do that um <clears throat> I said, oh, okay fine you don't have to i mean we've been living through the pandemic so everyone's remote now anyway so you can do it but come down to oxford a couple of days a week so I said, fine so um, that's what we did. And so built a team, um, started on the 4th of Jan, 2021. Um, at the end of that first week, everyone in the office got COVID. So that was a great Brilliant. start. But I no, built a team with people, some people who I knew from Days at Global, some people that I'd known from student radio that I knew were, were bright, fresh, talented people. Um, some of the, obviously, the, the team that were there at Jack launched um, Union Jack Rock, Union Jack Dance, which was absolutely great fun. And what they changed into by their demise um, was a bit different from how they started because we just refined it a bit more, which is always the way in it with anything that you launch. You tinker around with it and improve it. And it went out with a radar that I was really quite surprised at how good it was. And you know, had it only lived a bit longer, then you know I think it would have um, really, really come good. And what what are you doing now then, Dick? So now I am not in radio. I think I said 
I had a, a, a brief re-immersion into radio last year for three months, just helping out a, a station, which I thoroughly enjoyed and was great fun. And that, I think, reignited something. You know, I, I wandered in there thinking, um, actually, this isn't bad. I can, all the tough conversations that you need to have, all the difficult situations that you're in, I can deal with them. I've done it before. So there's nothing here that surprises me, scares me, makes me not know what to do next. Uh, and that was the point where I thought, this is actually where I am the most comfortable. This is like coming home. But that ended, and that's fine. Uh, but yeah, what I'm doing and I have been doing is doing some um, lecturing at university, which is great fun. But, you know, it's not in radio. But I've always been, you know, right from the early days in GWR, I did the um, PC school teaching people how to be programmers and teaching radio theory and all, all of those things. So I've always had a bit of a desire to do that kind of thing and nurture talent. So it's similar. And it can be, you know, it is really rewarding and really fun, but I don't half miss radio. It's funny, isn't it? Because you're teaching people how to... Is it purely radio that you're doing or is it... No, it's not. No, it's not at all. Right, okay. One of the modules that I'm starting in a couple of weeks is I did last year which is getting third-year students who are just about to graduate, getting them ready for the work market. So, you know, it's sorting out what they want to be, what they want to do, where they want... These are media students. So it might be that they want to work in TV or marketing or digital marketing or, or gaming or whatever it might It doesn't matter. But it's getting them organised so that they can refine what it is they want to do, build a contact list, you know, network it effectively, all of that. So that's great fun. It's really good. And I love doing that. And there's a few other modules that I've been working on, which, you know, range from creative documentaries to making short films and all manner of things, um, which, again, is, is good fun. It's really good fun. But it's not radio. Um, and, you know, I, I, I do miss it. It's funny, isn't it? Because I don't work in radio anymore. And at the moment, I, I don't miss it. Really, but I, I think it's because my fingers were burnt towards the end yeah. working for the for, for the BBC it wasn't, and and you, you know the, the fun that we had in commercial, um, to then go to the BBC and uh, it was just a very different beast and I didn't enjoy it particularly. So I think that my love, I'll always love radio, but I think it was quashed slightly by, you know, I wish it hadn't ended there. If, yeah. if you see what I'm saying, you know? and I think you know if if Jack hadn't come along. I might be exactly the same place. Yeah. Because, you know, I think when I, I when I exited Global, for all the reasons that we said, you know, first time I'd ever left a job like that that wasn't my own doing, first time that had happened to me. So, you know, I it took a while to get over that. I was a bit bruised um, and a bit shell-shocked. And so I think if Jack hadn't come along and given me that freedom at that time to do what I was doing, then I would have been in exactly the right place. So, you know what? Um, maybe I've had enough of radio. But and I didn't listen. I didn't listen for a long time. No, I haven't listened. I haven't no. Listened. I, I, it's funny. My listening habits have changed dramatically. I listen to a little bit of radio. I do listen to, to some radio, but not a lot, not as much as I used to. And when I do, I listen to it very differently. You critique it a lot faster. Do you do you still sit in the car and when you know someone sat beside you and, and you're chatting away? Do you tell them to be quiet? To, you know, yeah. when, when the when the, the, the presenter's the, on as opposed the, to the, the link starting. Shush. <laughs> yeah. I can hear the song the anytime I want to. 
I can only hear this bloke talking now. I need, <laughs> need to hear it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great. It's it's weird, isn't it? We are straight and I said this, I, I remember saying this to to students. It, um, student radio people you know radio people are weird we're all weird you know we we go into a soundproof room and talk to ourselves with no real idea that anyone's listening and the hope that they are and yes okay you can get feedback via phones in the old days um social media nowadays but you might not see that also and you could ignore it in any case and sit in a quiet room with the lights off talking to somebody your imaginary friend who you hope is listening and pouring your heart out or whatever. And then you, that's your job. That's weird. Now, it's straight. There are, I'm sure that there are lots of strange people in other walks of life, but there aren't an awful lot of strange people in radio. Do you know the other thing that has surprised me doing Crunch and Roll, which I. I Perhaps it's this podcast which is scratching my my radio itch. Mm. You know, I'm I'm getting to set in, and I said to you, excuse the pun, set in stone. You know, legends like yourself that people need to remember. Um, not that you're going to die, but um, <laughs> I was going to say it's, it's funny that I got dark yeah, really quick. I I spoke to you, doctor, earlier on. Got some news for you. Um, no, no, I, it's interesting um, chatting to people that have been broadcasting for so many years that they're not used to somebody asking them the questions, mm. and I see like like the likes of Paul Carrington, who in my eyes is a, is a proper legend, you know, and somebody who's been on the air for many years said to me, I'm not used to this. Somebody asking me the questions. It's, mm. I feel very uncomfortable. But we're just strange. No, but I think also, um, yeah, you touched on it earlier on. Radio people are egotistical. Yeah. Um, and everyone loves to be loved. You know, that's the thing I always remember about Twiggy, and it's true to this day, and I'll say it to his face, so I'm not talking behind his back. He just wants people to love him. And that every single radio person who's on the air wants people to like them. And so doing this, great. I'm, I'm sitting here with you talking about me. What's more egotistical than that? <laughs> um, Dirk, could you... Do you know what? I, 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 you call I, me Dirk. Most... Oh, oh, my Christ. God, you call Jesus me Dirk. Now, you know. All right, forgive me, Dick. <laughs> I thought I'd drop the D word too. Often, that's what the bizarre thing is... Dirk, Duncan and I were all in the group at the same time and we're all the same age. <laughs> I, I often ask my guests, Dick, who they would like to hear on Crunch and Roll. You kind of touched on it before, um, but is, is there anybody else that you would like us to get on as a guest to talk about their career? Um, I think somebody who would be really interesting just because he is a legend. Uh, and I mentioned John McCauley before, and he, I, I think he's a good one. Would be John Peters, um, who did the you know, the first breakfast show, the start, the launch of Trent in 1975, 74, 75. Um, and, you know, now on Boom. And, uh, you know, John has got so many, so many legendary stories, I am sure, of, you know, talking to the ghost in Castlegate. Um, it will be fascinating to get those stories heard. We'll put him on the list. Oh, yeah. Can I just say thank you so much for, for being on Crunch and Roll? Hi, thank Genuinely. you for asking me, mate. That's, it's, well, it, it, it is an honour. Um, it's been fascinating listening to you talk, and um, I genuinely appreciate your time, so thank you so much. You're very, very welcome, and thank you for asking. Dick, thank you very much. Can you take us away with the end credits, please? Certainly can. 
You've been listening to Crunch and Roll with me, Dick Stone. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app to get every new episode as soon as they drop. Crunch and Roll is a 969 media production presented by John Fox and produced by Simon Bozowski. Did well with surname, Dick Bozowski. Oh, yeah.